Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. All right, let's kick this thing off. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the new and improved Canon with Bo Daniel, business development at Altitude Energy Partners. How you doing, man? Doing well, man. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to talk. Nice. Yeah, well, we, we do a good job of BSing whenever we get together, so I figured why not do it behind a microphone so the rest of the world can hear about oh, it. Oh, man, I love attention, so anytime <laughs> just to get out and... yeah hear myself speak it'll be great that's it man well you've got that you know that deep southern drawl so i think that for all the ladies out there they'll like this one for sure oh well we'll see yeah <laughs> but before we get going this episode is fueled by perfect keto whether you're on a keto diet or simply looking for a healthy snack alternative and a resource for healthy eating perfectketo.com offers it all I actually especially like this stuff when I'm on the road because it doesn't give me the blood sugar spikes, which cause that afternoon drowsiness, especially important for those fellas and ladies that are out on the road with the, for those long drives to the rig and back. So anyway, Bo, we've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm glad we finally got the chance to get behind the mic together. Tell me about your week, man. Was it pretty good? I know you're in sales too or business development, so you know, typical grind on a short week, right? Because we had that long weekend behind us. Yeah, the week's been great, man. We're, I think, uh, altitude we've grown dramatically as a company and we relatively recently opened the Houston office here so we're okay doing a lot to get make sure the the Houston market is aware of of what we're doing out there and the nice oil patch and so a lot of things for just reaching out to the large market we have here in Houston as well as things to build our our brand up and yeah then I like to nerd out on data analysis things like that so there's a always a full plate to to attack but yeah it's been a good week good good well a lot of stuff we can dive into how was your long weekend last weekend it was good man yeah. i drove all over texas i was up in <laughs> lake of the pines one day then on lake athens all up on northeast side of texas and okay spent some nice time relaxing and That's hanging it. on a lake very cool i didn't quite get to travel all the way up there i ended up traveling to midland on the same day when that shooting happened i'm oh, sure no. you heard about that yeah. dude that's so tragic you know so a big shout out to uh, all the law enforcement out there that got everything under control. It's extremely tragic. And so, yeah, I was, I Saturday morning got a call, needed to get to the rig. So hop on a flight. I landed about five o'clock and I'm sitting there on the airplane and I kind of, I look over, you know, looking out the window and naturally if a guy's got his phone out and, you know, a big bright screen, your eyes kind of glaze over it. And, and, and all I saw when I kind of glanced through his phone, it said Midland mass shooting. And I, my heart about dropped and I was just like, what? So I get on my phone, look at it, and it was like, you know, news, 22 minutes ago, shooter on the loose, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, oh, my God. So I really, I was like, I should just book a flight and head back right now. Like, this is not. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a good time <laughs> to stay on the plane. But uh, yeah, were yeah. there actually two shooters? I never got the full details. You know, that, I don't but. think so. From what I understand, it was a, a gentleman who had got laid off as a truck driver, and then law enforcement tried to stop him. And evidently, he was just not in a good place and just started firing out the window. Yeah, it absolutely tragic. I mean, anyone out there who hasn't heard, I'm you know, I'm be surprised. But uh, again, I didn't want to bring that part up. But you know, it's just did some traveling of my own over the weekend to to the rig, so that's always good. It kind of brings back you know good memories to get back out there. You know, so yeah, another sort of tragic. Are you a comedy fan? Yeah, yeah. Kevin Hart. You know, you know yeah. Who that is? You heard about Three, that crash he had? Yeah, I just read that this morning. I guess he was it a Plymouth Barracuda, pretty yeah. close to his house fractured three vertebrae dude crazy they say he's gonna be okay from the initial stuff but yeah uh, yeah he had surgery and got i guess some some fused two fractures in his back or something like that but you know moral of the story don't let your friends drive your 1970 plymouth barracuda that's probably good what could happen that's probably a good rule of thumb (laughs) right yeah i don't have one but i can imagine they're pretty badass yeah wear your seatbelts as well that's probably good too (laughs) yeah yeah exactly so before we get going let's take a quick break if you'd like to support the show please subscribe and do me a huge favor to take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to any feedback is welcome and appreciated good or bad also, if you feel like you have a great story, idea for a show, or simply just have any questions, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm always on. So, Bo, tell me a little bit about what life was like before getting into the oil field, buddy. Oh, man. I was pretty naive, I guess, like mo- most of us. I grew up in the suburb of Dallas and okay. ended up going to Baylor University and 
studied engineering there. And uh, I guess my, my mom had always worked for Hunt Oil in Dallas. Oh, yeah. And she's a math and physics whiz, but did a lot of uh, economic analysis for most of the engineers. And she said, mm. be an engineer, because I should have just done that. So did the IQ roll into your genetics? Because oh, I think man. you're pretty sharp, man. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. I, I was, I went, I'm not sure what an IQ is. <laughs> I've never been a, accused of having a high one. But no, my, my mother definitely does. Cool. So yeah, I, I, I struggled through the engineering aspects. Baylor, my first internship was there at Hunwell, where I guess everybody had to wear a suit and tie. And I thought that was kind of how the industry was. So I bought a bunch of suits at the end of college, ready to go work in the oil patch. And right. I heard they're still kind of like that. Are they still pretty conservative? Hunt, hunt oil is, yes, yes. They're, they still kind of do it old school way, which I, I appreciate, but definitely not the norm throughout the industry. So I had a bunch of nice suits from Dillard's I never had to wear. Yeah. Hey, you could start rocking them now. Bring it back. Man. Oh man. Pleats and double breasted, man. These <laughs> things are still hot. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So what happened after Hunt, man? So well, you go to Baylor. How was Baylor? I, I, you're the I, only person I ever know that's went there. Yeah, there's like three of us in the oil field. It was great. I grew up, you know, traditional Southern Baptist and I had a lot of friends that went there and it really was a great, great school, great people. Really tough engineering I uh, bet. course as well. A much smaller class, but we survived it. Liked some some classes. I took them twice. I loved them so much. So <laughs> I'm sure. We, yeah. Uh, we got through it eventually, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Baylor and the friends made there, but uh, cool. were you a football fan during that time? I was a few years after my time. Yeah, yeah. There, we, there wasn't much to cheer for when I was there. I got you. But a few years after that, Baylor finally got pretty good at it. I went to every game, but we just nice. we get stomped quite often. I got RG three is from Baylor, right? Yeah, he yeah. was a couple years after I had graduated. Okay. So nice, that's nice. When it got fun, he came out hot in the NFL, and now I don't even know what he's doing. He's a backup for the Ravens right now. Oh, he is. Yep. Okay. So he got back on a team. Cool. Good for him. He's got some talent. I must say, he's entertaining to watch. Oh yeah, at he's the very fast. least, he was much more entertaining than any previous Baylor quarterback. Tell you that <laughs> right, right. That's hilarious. Anyway, yeah, I didn't mean to sidetrack you there. So you go to Baylor, you get out, you start working for Hunt. You got suits and ties, and <laughs> I mean, you've made it at that point. Oh, totally. Yeah. So then where where did you go from there? My first job was with Smith International designing mm-hmm. uh, roller cone drill bits. So yeah, Smith uh, was kind of the premier roller cone bit group there. And there's a lot of kind of the old ways, you know, as far as old culture was still kind of captured there in okay. kind of that roller cone market. So it was a, a great opportunity to really get kind of uh, brought into the oil field, but not totally into it. I wasn't necessarily working out in the field you know but yeah. got to design bits for applications all over the globe so you kind of got exposure to every every different kind of basin things like that and, so so uh, why didn't you go stay with hunt did you just want to get onto the bit side or was it just opportunity that came up or oh yeah i guess that i actually i think hunt did internships for like uh employees kids and stuff like that and i actually chose to do that at the front end of college versus a very specific engineering internship i actually worked in the accounting department uh, oh no way internship there so looking back i probably could have done that a little bit better but (laughs) led me where i'm at today yeah figure the roads where it's supposed to go so there you go but yeah i got on there with smith and designed bits and it was good we then transitioned to as a pdc bit market really kind of blew up the roller cones shrunk quite a bit so our groups merged into a, a common group that focused on designing pdc bits interesting so can you describe like going from like the roller cone into the pdc but what was the biggest driver behind that because i mean uh, that was a huge revolution in drilling sure and there's it's just different methods of failing rock right so a roller cone fails through more of a uh, i'm probably gonna say the word and impact versus a shearing effect and the shearing cutting action that a pdc does is much more efficient mechanically than with the advancements of the thermal stability of pdc cutters it really became just a no-brainer for that to really be the premier way that we drill rock so gotcha is it rock specific though because i know roller cones sometimes do have an application right there i'm sure yes there are still some applications but i remember kind of some of the big initial transitions where you couldn't drill a curb with a pdc and then Obviously now almost all curves are built PDCs and then right. some rocks are too hard for PDCs. And then now we're running 80 or 90,000 pounds on, on PDCs. So hmm. it really is cool to see how the materials side of the business and design and, and what we've, we've learned there have been able to elevate the energy we can put down hole and drill faster. It's all yeah. translates back to the 
to the end, top of the line there. So, but yeah, a lot of advancements on that side. No kidding. So you ended up working at Smith and then you decided to take a leap over into the directional world or was it? Was well, it, it was actually through Hunt Oil. There was a, an opportunity. Hunt had a, a special investments group that was partnered with a directional company out of Austin who had some unique technologies for electronics in motors. And so oh, wow. they were looking to spin that company off as a, a startup. And thankfully, the, uh, the man in charge of that remembered that I was in the oil field as well, designing tools and thought of me to be a part of that startup team. And Todd Benson was our, our leader there, who's now the CEO of Motive, which is owned by H&P. Okay. So uh, that was, this company was his precursor to, to that software. But yeah, we had a great time and we were based out of Austin, Texas. We were kind of chasing slim hole five inch motors for the Bakken that had near bit, you know, measurements of weight and inclination gamma and some short hop technology that was really a cool thing to work on. It's a shame it didn't really take off. No kidding. Some, uh, some Why other. do you think that was? It was more of just realities of, of business economics there. The the partner company that we're working with just wasn't quite financially stable enough at that time to handle this kind of you know, dream vision of, you know, hiring nine new guys and really chasing down yeah, things like that. So it ended up not having enough running room to win, but that obviously led to strong relationships with people there and, and, and motive was born out of that. And it led to my opportunity to, to sell bits was, which was really where I found, I'd say my calling in my career. That was really where my skill sets finally aligned. Nice. Nice. Did you, do you think having that experience designing bits and having that sort of engineering mindset, did that kind of help build the fundamentals for, for sake? I mean, some, most sales folks or a lot of them are, are very good at speaking and articulating, you know, a message and, and telling the story of the company, but a lot of times don't have like the nuts and bolts down from a technical aspect. So do you think that helped build on, that? Yes. On, on bits, it, it, it helped dramatically because, you know, if there kind of had a, a skill set that could see hear from the customer's mouth what the problem is, diagnose the problem, and have the solution on bit design or existing designs that could fit the bill, things like that. And so, you know, right there as the boom was taken off in 2011, 12, 13, we were able to really grow some some great customers there and get some custom bits out there and see a lot of success. And yeah, that that whole skill set really aligned, but even even bigger, you know, what what I maybe wasn't as 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 fired up about designing bits versus designing bits for a specific customer is kind of finding what my my own personal motivations are, you know? Like I'm right. motivated by people. It's it's you could say that Chevron has a need or or Justin at Chevron has a need, you know, and that really aligns my motivators because now there's a person, there's somebody behind it and you know that really kind of helps you dial into meeting those needs. And mm-hmm. so that's what I really enjoy about sales is now it's an opportunity to build relationships obviously and then meet people's specific needs and and that part's definitely better for my personal motivators and 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 it's much more satisfying i think right right so being in sales i mean it obviously comes with its ups and downs but did you ever think that you know going to you know baylor getting engineering did you ever think that you'd go back to the operator side i mean even now i mean is that something that's ever crossed your mind i don't know i kind of you know, if you do a SWOT analysis, I always say, you know, you want to lean into your skills versus, versus away. And, and yeah. I think as an engineer being, I know where my strengths are. I'm, I'm, I think I'm, a, I'm one of the few not type A engineers, I think. <laughs> I hang out in the dream world sometimes. And so thinking through marketing <laughs> campaigns or new ways of presenting data, those are a little bit more of my skill set than maybe some of the, the niche details that are always needed maybe on the operator side so I that kinda, makes sense i kind of know kind of know where where my wins can be and 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 what i uh, maybe i'm not the best at so sure that's why we got really great customers that know what they're doing there so we can yeah help them out on our side so where did you develop that sense of awareness because it seems like you have a good understanding of where your strength lies you know and, and not to veer off the track and really commit yourself to to you know staying in a discipline that you have a lot of strong skill set, like, cause a lot of people don't know, they just kind of, you know, they go, they chase the money or they, you know, they chase other things that they find important, but you seem to have a good sense of awareness. Have you always had that or is you just, no, I can tell you exactly how it, how it happened. And I'll go down the Tony Robbins rabbit hole for a little bit, but yeah, no, please uh, do. Yeah. Something I, I heard is that the two strongest measures of success out of high school, one is your SAT score and the second is something called locus of control, hmm. which is pretty much, I don't know how it's measured, but it's pretty much a measure of 
are the events of your life, can you impact those? Or are they impacting you? It's, it's kind of a measure of grit. And I'd say it wasn't until I got into sales at Ulterra that those things finally clicked that, you know, I, I did not have the best GPA at, at Baylor and I can't focus in isolation as well as I can focus around people meeting people's needs. Yes. And so, you know, the, you know, I, I enjoyed designing bits, but for a, a, a faceless customer it was a lot more difficult than that customer, you know, having a personal relationship there that, that now I'm tied in on. And, and so it was in sales that I finally felt like I was really good at something for the first time, you know, not that good I felt I was horrible at, at previous things. I just felt like I had my stuff together. Finally, like I, there wasn't somebody out there that was just going to be way better than me or something at that. And so I really, my confidence levels really got through the roof and it helps when I was at a hundred dollars to think you get sales as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 that I helps, right? I don't know that I was ever <laughs> truly a great salesman. I'd say my confidence went, went high and I really was able to dial into what I maybe have to offer that versus trying to play a game of, of something that maybe I'm weaker at. And then from Altera, you know, being an engineer in sales, I was able to use company or customer data, EDR data, Mm -hmm. really start analyzing that and we were able to see some wins there so kind of towards the end of the boom as i saw that that downturn coming i thought if i really jump in and see what i can do on the data side you know i think this can become a much larger need for customers now that oil shrinking and we got to find a way to really maximize our efficiencies i think right. maybe there was a need for some deeper performance analyst analysis that that i might have a, a leg up on since i've been doing it for four or five years now with these direct customers as a, as a function of my sales. And so right. that's where I left uh, Ulterra and, and tried to go down the route of starting a down data analysis company. And okay. What year was that? What year was that? That was 2015, I think. Okay. I so around the downturn, obviously. Right after. Yeah. I kind of thought that was the time people were going to need this is, you right. know, at a hundred dollar oil, we're all drilling fast wells, but now those wells need to drop by 20 days. How are we going to do it? Right. And somewhere in there, you know, the, the answers might be in that data. So, right. So I went down that road kind of all in on the, on the data side and saw some success with it. We, we teamed with integrity directional and, and I was their Houston sales representative as well as trying to offer some data solutions for their customers as a differentiator in a very competitive market. You know, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of directional companies out there and, you know, it's hard to stand out. And that was an obvious need of the market was how can we get better? And, you know, using the data as an opportunity to showcase, well, here's what you're doing. Here's some opportunities we think are out there. Let's get on the board and talk about it and go. Right. So what, what did data look like on directional sort of pre that existence as to what you went through and even till now? Cause I mean, there's, you know, AI and, and machine learning and all that is certainly a big buzzword, certainly, in my opinion, driven by the downturn. But, you know, what is what does that look like for on the directional side with regards to like all this data that you speak of? Uh, well, there's there's a reason we still survived as industry without that data. Right. Yeah. There uh, the abilities of people aligned in a goal with skills can achieve great things right and so data doesn't magically come in and and trump all that ex experience and expertise so before that uh, i got there's a stupid quote i like but it's a i think it's a scottish philosopher andrew lang maybe okay 1910 i love quotes so oh. I'm, I'm i'm anxious <laughs> oh, man, to hear well, i got a lot of goofy ones uh <laughs> lay them on yeah buddy. he says we use statistics the way a drunken man uses a lamp post for support rather than illumination so that was kind of the <laughs> guiding cool. light for, for what we potentially could do with data because, you know, selling drill bits. When do you really look into the EDR data when bit fails? Not every run. And so every run somewhere there tells us where those deviations are. We need to be looking at it consistently, consistently illuminating things there. And so it was something that, you know, it was probably most likely really deeply dove into on the worst case scenarios to try to find out what went wrong mm -hmm. instead of if it were easy enough automated that it could be something we look at all the time providing greater illumination so that we can constantly be pushing the the, the bar further so that was kind of the goal for sure and yeah integrity actually closed their doors not too long ago okay. and that's where this great opportunity with altitude which is a company that is doing great things kind of that earlier thing about what people in the line vision yeah. and, and discipline can do, that's what Altitude's doing. And cool. so that's exciting that maybe I can add some sort of 
data nerd guru, <laughs> a little extra spice to the team here, but they're doing right. great things. And I think uh, the success we're having is, is through some, some very obvious reasons. Cool. Well, tell us about uh, Altitude Energy Partners. It sounds like you're pretty excited to be on board. And, you know, I took a look at their website, which, you know, it looks like you guys have a lot of interesting things happening in your direction. You're also doing wirelines. So tell us a little bit about maybe the history and, and where you see the value add with Altitude. Sure, and then obviously with you being there, you saw potential. So yeah, I believe we were about 2015. Altitude was started based out of Casper, Wyoming. So I think some of our early customers were mainly out of the Denver area, but some things Altitude, I believe, did right right out the gate was they realized that we need to always have a, a relatively young asset fleet. We don't want legacy tools in there because tools are always getting better and we want to be in a position where we can always have an, an up-to-date fleet of high-performance tools. So our motor, motor fleet, we've done a good job keeping low hours and, and keeping those assets fresh, which in turn has led to fewer failures. Uh, another thing I thought Altitude did really good right out the gate was they jumped on, they knew that Rotary Steerable was going to become a, a big player in the Permian Basin and the laterals. And so yeah. Altitude was a pioneer in using those tools. And so the experience gained over, you know, I think we've drilled 2 million feet of lateral footage. I believe that's the largest in the Permian. And no so you start thinking that not necessarily in terms of footage, but experience and the, the ways to keep that BHA going, mm -hmm. you know, average runs a mile, you know, and there's a lot of other Director companies probably doing the same, but what I what I like to look at is that that collective experience that came through drilling that footage. I believe is is one of our main advantages there in the Permian, and then just the way our operation teams run. These guys are, I call them Navy SEALs. You know, they're yeah. they're just you know they're disciplined, they're dedicated, and they get it right. So cool. it's exciting to be a part of that team. Hopefully, I can. <laughs> I don't know that I'm, I'm no Navy SEAL, so hopefully <laughs> I, I can run a spreadsheet. We'll see. Yeah, if I can add something positive to the team. So. There you go. So describe the the culture there. And I mean, it sounds like you said they're driven, motivated, got a lot of experience. I mean, do a lot of does a lot of the experience come from, you know, like a lot of the directional companies, folks at different directional companies came together or I believe a lot of these guys kind of maybe started off at, at Weatherford, I believe. But yeah, I think there's the initial team might have all been from a comparable spot to to start it, but from there I think we've kind of grown our own culture there and, and I think it starts with just you know there's everyone knows their job gets it done and you know there's there's some accountability throughout you know there's there's defined roles responsibility and and you're made accountable to get your job done and, and I think just that every run has to count you know you every run has to have a level of discipline mm -hmm. and, and oversight to make sure that it only takes one bad one to to ruin that perception in customers eyes so yeah that's one thing that our guys are highly dedicated to that and it's leading to some great success. We've grown rapidly and hopefully, you know, here in the Houston market, we can do the same. Cool. Cool. I, uh, I was mentioning earlier, I have a new respect for directional drilling that world, you know, being in a customer's office the other day and we're going through, you know, an ops meeting and, you know, the directional company, you know, through a previous meeting had said, yeah, no, we can build, you know, at X angle, you know, so they had this plan in place. Well, you know, the curve didn't go exactly as planned and, you know, we were trying to land at a certain point and the operator just kept, you know, putting their feet to the fire and said, well, you said you could, you know, land at this and you said your tools could do this and that. And, you know, and the, and the data had showed that it could, but it was like they weren't taking no for an answer. And the directional company said, look, like we're 10,000 feet into the earth. The rock is pushing us a certain way. I don't care what kind of directional driller you have out there, what kind of tools, like, like there's a difference between actual and theoretical. And when we, you know, we can't, there's no guarantee what's going to happen downhole is what we're going to calculate on surface. And so it was like, you know, with, with the mud side of things, not very many people understand chemistry. So you can, you know, you know, you can explain something yeah, and it's kind an of expert. a gray area. And then it's like, okay, well. It's probably I, good that I wasn't in that meeting. So I, I usually, my go-to, if I get nervous, <laughs> just start quoting Armageddon. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we're drilling an iron plate, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was tough. I said, you know, everything that happens, they say, oh, it's always the mud's fault. But now, when just being in more meetings, it almost seems like directional is getting hit on just as bad as mud. So yeah. I have a new appreciation for you folks out there. That's a tough market tough. to be in. I man. think the right calls tell the truth. You know, you yeah. know, be up forward with the with uh, what's going on down hole. And regardless of if there's scenarios like that, the biggest the bigger loss is if you don't learn something from it. Of course, so right. You know, really dialing on that. What could I have done better? How do you get better? I think that's 
sometimes Mother Earth wins there, but if you're not learning from it, then then you can turn it into a bigger loss, I think. Yeah, exactly. So altitude, is there anything kind of unique to the industry other than your guys' experience that seems to be, you know, bar none, you know, the most valuable, but is there anything kind of unique that you guys offer to, to the market or any any added value that that you see there? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we actually are one of the few Directional companies that actually own our own fleet of power drive tools. And so, so why is that important? I mean, from an internal economics perspective, owning those assets and it gives us an advantage to not have a, a third party payment there that mm. you know, helps us. Uh, and then managing our, the way we manage our fleet is, is very important there. That uh, I think all those from a tool reliability standpoint give us massive advantages. Another thing is we, we have great relationships with our MWD vendors so that that technology advances dramatically in different ways. And so you, you don't want to be held down by a single, you know, technology there when, when you want to be able to offer the best thing to your customers. So I think our relationships sure. there have been very positive. And then our, we have a very positive culture. I think, you know, my old business mentor said that negativity is a cancer and it can, it can really kill a company culture. And, and I'm very impressed with the positive culture we have that, you know, we believe we can do great things and, yeah. and, you know, encouraging each other and, and good results happen from that. Right. So where does that culture come from? Is that from a leadership from the top down or is there, you know, like how did that generate, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm still relatively young there, so I'm not sure who, where it generates from, but for me, I just noticed it from the people I come in contact with is, yeah. is first off, everybody I've met has been highly competent, competent breeds, confidence. Of course. Uh, and then there's been a positive culture there as well. So those very things. cool dial together for some good results yeah no kidding how does ai and big data analytics play a role at at what you do at altitude i mean is there do you guys are are you do you guys sort of use data in a different way than you would have historically or or is there anything kind of does that play you know any major role on how you guys plan your business or plan wells and stuff like that well Data can be used for a lot of different things and kind of come in full cycle from I jumped completely into it thinking that there are a lot of answers in data, but also finding that, you know, stats don't always equal results. The the dream team lost one year. I remember the year in basketball that on <laughs> yeah. paper, the statistics said that this team was not couldn't be beat, but they still did. So somewhere in there, as I really jumped way into the data world and then kind of got a little different perspective here that it's, it's, you know, if you can align the motivations of every man on your team, give them something to chase after, allow their expertise and all these things to be put to work, you know, all those heuristic aspects of motivation are coming through. I don't know, there's a great book by uh, Daniel Pink called Drive, and it talks mm-hmm. about two different types of fun- job functions. One is heuristic, the other one's algorithmic. So algorithmic, you can think of things like uh, factory so same thing over and over and over again. And heuristics like I'm going to try to build a new car and I don't know anything about building cars. And so yeah. I got to research a lot. So all those discovery type mechanisms of your brain are all aligned at once. And there's all this creative juice flowing and, and you're excited for it. And those are the type of motivators that usually lead to really good new discoveries, things like that. So you want to yeah. have people engaged. And so I think data can create doubt. Right. It's I have all these skills I know I'm good at. And then somewhere in this data says some better way of doing it that's not obvious to me. Mm -hmm. So unless you can kind of take what data is telling us and align it with how my people on the rig can get better from this data, it makes sense to them. And we can actually translate this to our team. Yeah. I think you really got to think ahead to where those things are in conjunction. Right. So basically what data can help us do is set more detailed goals. Right granularity is, yes. is my directional drillers know with great granularity the different aspects that affect how this well bore will be drilled interesting if i can help show that to them in a in a detailed way those ex- subject matter experts can talk we can describe through in some minutiae what what options there are to get better and now we can track it so i think that's that for me until there are truly automated systems that take over everything mm-hmm. is a great way of doing it. And so I talked earlier about algorithmic to heuristic. I think anytime that we want to have as many new heuristic experiences as possible, but once we kind of learn it, all right, go do it again. Now it's algorithmic all of a sudden. So in those transitions, is there any time for things to be automated? I think that's a great way. So, you know, I always kind of look at the goal for data is, you know, if I work my hardest today, what could I achieve? What if that, and then maybe through data that allows, what if that was the starting point every day? Yeah. What then could I see? I can, you know, the higher you go up the mountain, the, the 
the view's a little different. So maybe I think data and advancements like that kind of help expand that horizon. So anyways, I think at, at altitude, going back to your earlier question, I think with that understanding of, of, of what makes us great, which is our, our people and our operation team, we want to set great goals. We yeah. want to be able to look at, at data in a way to determine opportunities there and, and just be better at benchmarking, setting real KPIs and work with our customers. And mm-hmm. so data, that helps us doesn't lead us, right? You know, we are sure. our people lead us, you know? And so I think having good data collection systems, you know, your insights are only as good as the data collected. So I think we do a very good job at clean data and detailed data. Our real-time operating center is on top of that. And, you know, there's a lot of accountability to make sure that what goes in the system is right. And then from there, it's, it's you know, it's still back to the people. Yeah. No, it's interesting you say that, you know, you talk about automation in, in not allowing or not, you know, committing yourself to allowing data to lead you. And it, you know, it seems to me like a lot of people are so focused on data and automation that they forget how valuable the human element is mm-hmm. to how we operate as a business. And so I can agree with you in the sense that, you know, let's let's not forget the human element and how much value it has. Because, you know, you could look at all this this huge data set and you know, it's telling us to do this, this, and that, then you get a 30-year hand that can look at that and say, that's not going to work out that way, I can promise Mm-mm. you. And then they're like, well, no, this is what it shows. And then next thing you know, the gentleman with the gray hair who's done it and has it, has had their hands on it at the rig for the last, you know, 25, 30 years is giving you, you know, some 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 proper insight, whereas oh, yeah. the data wouldn't have seen. So you, we can't completely just rely on that and say that, we're never going to need people again and be fully automated and push buttons. And yeah, you look at how how's data and analyzed. It's in isolation. Yeah. I'm behind my computer by myself. You know, I'm not with my peers yeah. discussing. You know, what's the live events there? So I think that isolation is why it doesn't just take over, right? Yeah. Because we still a team of like-minded, motivated people can still go pretty dang fast. You of know, course. the human race has done a lot up to this point, <laughs> and yeah. the oil field's done a lot in the past decade. I mean, look at how fast. We're drilling three mile laterals now. We just drilled oh, a couple with rotary steerable systems for Midland Basin operator there with single BHA. Very and, cool. I don't know, five years ago, you might not, rotary steerable wasn't really an option for the lateral, maybe a little further back than that. But no kidding. But you now, said you drilled a three mile lateral? Yes, two back to back in a single BHA. That's with, impressive. With rotary steerable, I think. What size hole, or is that I think it's confidential? Eh, we'll say it's confidential. I think it's a standard, you know, somewhere in the Eight and, eight and a half, eight and three quarter hole. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, and that's. Just, I was just curious because I mean, not a lot of people are drilling those sort of bigger hole sizes in the lateral. So I was curious about that. Or, do they? Do they make rotary steerable for six, six and three quarter, six uh-huh. and eight? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I figured they did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. No, that's a huge win for you guys. So I'm glad you mentioned. Yeah, that. I, I think that's a, that collective experience leads to you know more consistent results like that. So very cool. You know, I also saw too when I was looking, uh, I had to commend you guys. You actually have a blog on your website, which I think is really cool. You know, more folks need to take advantage of the power of content and and free marketing. I mean, and and you're drastically falling behind if you're not. So it was neat because it, you know, it talked about they had on their employee of the month and just some kind of some neat stuff that didn't even really necessarily deal with directional drilling, but just a place where, you know, either customers or people that work there can check out the blog and see updates and stuff. And so it's definitely something that, that's the I mean blogs and things exist in the past, but the industry now all industries now. I mean it's it's very prevalent and it's all kind of new new territory. You know, it you're is. obviously jumping on it. You're a pioneer on on that with this podcast. And <laughs> appreciate you letting me be a part of it. Yeah, but, no, it's exciting. But yeah, there is something that it's it's hard to see the tangible results of it. Yes. You know? And so if you know, if I'm selling I don't know, socks or something to the whole world market, then that makes a lot of sense. But the way I sell directional, you know, I don't necessarily expect a, a sophisticated, you know, drilling engineer or, or superintendent to see a blog post and necessarily have all the information he needs to say yes. So, but we do know that raising brand awareness, raising what you're about is important. And so I think it's kind of some uncharted water on, on how to go about that, but how to definitely they sharing our message, and I, and I think, like I said, employee of the month, things like that. Let, I like those type of posts more than necessarily the record run posts because yeah. you know, you know, there's a team of people behind what we do, just like every company, and of course, and I like showcasing that. Well, and in, in not only that, but I must say, it is important to showcase the wins, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're not producing content around your business, you're in a place where you're going to lose leverage, while the people that are gaining, the people that are, are actually gaining leverage. So don't hesitate. And even 
I've, you know, experimented on LinkedIn with, you know, posting certain things and, and really tracking the viewing. And again, LinkedIn's a great platform. It's, mm-hmm. to me, it's, it's the business Facebook of 2011. I think it's only going to get more. Oh, it really, and you're doing a great job. I've just kind of noticed that I've known you for a while and then now all of a sudden you're yeah, well, Mr. LinkedIn, man. Well, you know, and it's, it's not, it's more of a social experiment more than yeah. anything to, to see how the industry changing, how the flow of information is is actually getting to the eyes of people who can appreciate it. And at the end of the day, it's just it's creating, you know, a brand around your company or gaining awareness. And, you know, you're if, if you're not building your a brand, whether it's a personal brand or a brand within the company and creating content, you're you're really kind of falling behind nowadays and, and you're becoming irrelevant. And yeah. and and I'm not saying specifically to oil and gas, but in general. And so I feel like it's important and it's neat how you guys have, you know, started the blog and, and doing What was your transition kind of through that? Was it awkward at first? Oh, of course. I, I hate posting stuff. I don't, yeah. initially it was like, you know, cause you expose yourself. That's, You've yeah. got however many millions of people on LinkedIn that can possibly see something. And if you say something that either someone doesn't agree with or someone it doesn't align with, with you know, the way you're articulating a message. Yes, or, it's usually way more to tear yeah. people down than build it up. And that might yeah. be a deeper societal issue. So, but to be but, honest, like you and I, we're in sales. Like yeah. we get shit on all the time. Like yeah. I don't care what anybody thinks. Yeah. Like it's just, you, you build thick skin and you put stuff out there. And the, the very people that are dogging it or talking shit about it are the ones that are thinking, well, how can I do that? Yeah. You know, so... You know, I, I still don't like posting things out there, particularly on Facebook. I, I recently on on Instagram uh, started posting my my woodworking, but that's all that's all I'll do. And it's still just it's it's awkward to put something out to the world, maybe right. you know, versus my unique friend group or something like that. It's so you know what really helps is if if you do it from a place of selflessness instead yes. of selfishness. Yes, it's actually very easy. Mm-hmm. You know, don't post just to post shit, but if you can post something that can help either change someone's perception, maybe get a good conversation started for free. Yeah. That's where, yeah, you're, you're giving a platform for others. So it is a selfless. I was even thinking in in our posts for, for the company is like you said, we do need to talk about our wins, but I kind of look at like, "Ah, I in general don't want to go brag too much. I'm sure I'll probably brag on all kinds of things, but I don't, it doesn't feel right. 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 And so I'm like, well, let's go, it's our customers win, you know, like we don't even say our name. Let's say, you know, our customer that we got to work for did this. And yeah. so somewhere in there, it's bragging on, on them versus bragging on your, on yourself. That, that type of post feels more natural to me, but I think that great, yeah. that's a great context or a framing for it is selfless yeah. versus selfish. Yeah. And, and always give more than you take. Like sure. there's no point in saying, Hey, look what I did and, and look at me and my, like, again, I think where I, you know, I think like places like Instagram and stuff like that, it's, it's tough because a lot of it's, you know, booty shots and, you know, look at the meal that I just prepped, but unless, is that helping people or are you just, is this, you know, like you said, like, well, I don't want to brag, but, you know, being a, be mindful enough to, you know, put some creative effort into it and, and say, okay, is this, if someone reads this, am I either motivating them, helping them or helping them learn that that's where the value comes. I like that a lot. And it's, and it's free. Mm-hmm. This shit is free folks. Like, why would you not? Yeah. I, you know, and again, I was fortunate enough to be part of a, a record breaking run in the stack. And, and I had a picture online to, Hey, you know, happy to be a part. We drilled X amount of feet, 13,000 views. Wow. Yeah. I can't get a both a booth at OTC for free mm-hmm. to have 13,000 people come through and see what, us as a team have done yeah. it's incredible yeah it's it's absolutely incredible yeah i really i mean i really am thinking more on just the use that as a platform to brag on others and, and other and i think i think that that really resonates with i bet it resonates with why people some posts get a lot of views and why other posts don't too yeah i would imagine yeah no that's really cool so it's it's interesting our our, our whole industry shifting the way we share information you know the generation of people who spend 99 percent of the time on their phones versus you know reading world oil magazines information cheap now it's changed right? it is it's it's create free content and then show the value and people are gonna you know be drawn to that and and then say hey wow you guys have you know, created and provided solutions for other people. And here you've talked about it and, and, you know, tell me more, you know, it's, it's, it's very fascinating. And so I encourage anyone out there, just pick up your phone. And if you have something interesting that you think someone else can learn from, talk about it. Yeah. There's no harm in that. Sure. 
you know, so it's, it's a cool, it's a cool space to be in. Anyway, I know we're babbling here about all sorts of stuff, but going back to altitude and you may have already mentioned it, but, but what is it about your job that, that really just keeps you coming in every single day and just keep yourself motivated? Honestly, it probably ties completely personal ties back to my faith is I like investing in people, right. And, and that personal aspect uh, and the kind of the joy and of getting to build strong relationships with customers, you know, and, and, that part's what I like most about sales. I've probably never been great at chasing numbers, you know. <laughs> right. I think I think my engineering side would come over too much to, if I were just chasing numbers. But, but yeah, I like sales because the opportunity to build relationships, not only business wise, but you know, personal friendships with people, and those are things that so, we all got hard jobs. But if you don't have some friends along the way that make it all worthwhile, the journey, you know, those it, it doesn't necessarily seem as fulfilling. So. That's what I like most about it. Yeah, good for you, man. Do you have any daily routines or habits that keep you focused and motivated to keep going? I know you. I know you're a habit guy because I remember at Ultimates' oh, office a while back. You, I'm you not a, a habit guy at you're all. Not? I'm a Type B engineer that loves chaos. Really? Yeah. Well, but I, you, you you mentioned a book to me a while back, like Habits or something. Do you? Oh, I read a whole lot of books trying to fix my habits. That's okay. where you know, uh, kind of starting that that other company. There's a lot of things I was not great at, which I kind of you know, now take the perspective, lean into your skills and lean into your strengths as much as possible. Sure. And I think I can handle going into a large operator's office and having to see 30 different engineers. I'm firing on all cylinders there, but yeah. I like that chaos a little bit more. And, but I do, I do try to have habits in my life, but for me, they're more like a, just kind of guiding, guiding pillars of, of what, who I want to be, you know, good for you. you. Know, offer, so what do, who does Bo want to be? John Wooden has a great set of uh, rules to live by. Okay. My dad was a basketball coach, principal at a middle school up in Dallas area. And he said he kept all 10 of those in his wallet and said, well, if it's good for my daddy, it's good for me. So I kept a list of those in my wallet. But, oh, let's see if they can come to mind. Let's see. The the one that sticks with me is... Or uh, the, the top one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear that. Is make each day your masterpiece, I believe, or make a... Friendship's a masterpiece. I might have to pull my wallet out here. Yeah, no worries. Looking at this part. So John Wooden's list, what did he say? He said, be true to yourself, help others, make each day your masterpiece, drink deeply from good books, especially the Bible, make friendship a fine art. I really like that one. Nice, yeah. Build a shelter against a rainy day and pray for guidance and count, count your blessings and give thanks for every day. I think those were John Wooden's best basketball coach of all time. His words to live by that, Hey, my dad said those were good words to live by. I, hey. I don't have to ask again. So That is cool. What I'll do is I'll type that up and put those in the show notes. So that oh, like, cool. People yeah, are let me make sure those are the, I'm, I might have made Bo's version of those quotes on that hey, card. Hey, that's I fine. Those are Bo's versions oh, to live yeah. by. Yeah. We like that, man. Yeah, Bo's versions perfect. have some grammatical mistakes. And <laughs> that's like one of my, writing, yeah. my uh, reservoir teacher in our professor in college said, he always because his grammar and he couldn't spell worth a crap and he would always say guys look i are an engineer okay don't i'm, yeah. I'm a numbers guy don't yeah. don't quote me on my you know my grammatical errors so, here. so uh but no that's interesting you say that well i appreciate you sharing that one last question here what's something about you that not many people know about you got any good hidden secrets you'd like to unleash to the podcast well, world I don't know if it's hidden anymore but my my woodworking habit has gone kind of got out of control uh-oh uh, tell us about that well yeah kind of Kind of when I started that that company, you know, really stretching myself. You know, there's always this this human idea of potential. You know, let's <laughs> yeah, let's go explore that for a little bit. You know, you run into all right. Well, I tried and maybe failed at it, but I kind of always thought, you know, always wanted to be able to make things, but never thought I was able to do it. And I said earlier, information cheap now. You know, you imagine what kind of skills some craftsman has attained over his whole lifetime, and now he can put in a thirty minute video on YouTube and these are existing everywhere. And so yeah. I kind of started trying to build me a new desk at the house with a borrowed saw and came together pretty good. And and then a good friend, Mike Tassari, that you know Mike as oh, well, yeah. he actually asked me to perform his wedding ceremony years ago. And to say thanks, he, he bought me a, a table saw, which was an amazing gift, but also kickstarted you know, a hobby that's become quite a passion. So I got Very a, lot of, cool. a lot of thanks for a great friend and Mike. And, and so that kind of kickstarted my, uh, my, my passion there for woodworking. And for me, when my brain's jumping all over the place out there in the shop, it doesn't, you know, it locks in on whatever I'm working on. It's, yeah. It gets dirty in there, but 
what I'm making is always the focus, right? There so, you go. It's probably, do you find it somewhat therapeutic? Yeah. I also have a problem starting too many projects. So it, it can turn, <laughs> it can get, you know, but also, you know, the ups and downs of sales, it feels good to be able to see what you've accomplished in a day, you yeah. know, or sometimes a sale might take a year to kind of get across the board, you know, so it's a good balance to kind of keep the anxiety of, of work and life, uh, in the right place very cool no we all need a place to to go hide and unplug and and enjoy yeah and, and so i can certainly appreciate that you said you post some stuff on instagram is that your personal instagram or do you have like an instagram specific oh, for the woodworking it's my personal i think i've only done one woodworking wednesday but i got about 20 weeks worth of projects i might put out there so that would be neat man or yeah. like create a separate account for like bose woodworking or however you want to call it yeah, and then you can I'll, just anytime do you it. do something you just put it on there and hey and you know, here's what I did, and people and, appreciate and woodworking. There I was you go. thinking about it as you kind of gave me that framework for serving versus being selfish, because right? that that is kind of the internal kink, right? Is oh, am I just is. bragging on what I'm doing? I don't want to do that. For me, yeah. The greater story was you can push yourself to, self to learn new skills. Tony Robbins says you want to be a master, put ten thousand hours in. What do you yeah. put your ten thousand hours into? There you go. And for me, just kind of it, it consistently over teaches me or just shows me that, man, I'm actually getting better at this thing. You know, right. you kind of need to see that progress that motivates you. Yeah. And allows you to know that other things you take on in life, you can kind of yeah. grow and get better at. So that's, a, you're absolutely right, man. Well, it's, that's pretty neat, man. I'll have to take a look at, uh, whenever you get some stuff online, I'm curious to see. And I, I have an appreciation for woodworking. I actually grew up in a custom, you know, woodworking shop, you know, my parents oh, man, owned, a, cool. owned a business. And so anything from custom wall beds to tables and, you know, Hutchin buffets and, and anything you could do with wood, my old man could do. Yeah. And he just had an, an extreme, you know, unique talent for that stuff. And so, yeah, every Saturday and Sunday morning, I was in the shop sweeping and cutting and laminating and staining. And, I like it. Yeah. So it, it's it's neat. It, and now, you know, I, I I understand what needs to be done. Like if I look at something that was built out of wood, I could tell someone exactly how to do it. But because I was forced to do it at such a young age, I was like, I don't want to do the work. I just know how to do it. But now my wife and I are slowly starting to get back into it. And we built my daughter. It's called a mud kitchen. Yeah. So it's outside. And, you know, I like I was like, do you think you could do this? And in my mind, I was like, that's the, like, the easiest thing yep. to put together ever. And I was like, yeah, I could try. And like within a few hours, you know, a few cuts here and, you know, screws here and there. Boom, boom, boom. Had it done. And she was like. I didn't know you could do this. And yeah. So, uh, but that's, yeah, it's, that's it's, cool. Yeah. yeah I totally know what you're saying that. Yeah. There's a, my girlfriend gets upset with how I look at a piece of furniture versus how she looks at it. Right. Not really <laughs> upset. It's just, I know what you mean. She doesn't want to hear all the thoughts I have on, on it. I got, I shared too much, uh, building ideas on how all these things are put together and what's quality what's not so. well you say quality it's sad nowadays it's hard to find a good solid piece of you know solid wood furniture all this stuff's particle board and yeah. you know and even just cabinetry like so my dad and i we would rebuild kitchens and seeing all these you know cheap cabinets and door fronts and in the in the just the quality of craftsmanship is just it's hard to to swallow sometimes but yeah. you know it's well i if you I don't know how when's the last time you've been to like a uh especially hardwood store but i mean there's a walnut nine dollars a board foot so you can't hardly afford you know yeah my simple table like this well that's three thousand dollars all of a sudden for you know inch and a half thick and, yeah it's not and cheap so man. it it uh, stinks but yeah particle board ends up being what most things are made out of yeah because it has to be but yeah exactly for the mass market that's mm -hmm. what people can afford and hey it is what it is yeah anyways Look, we're getting close to getting out of time here, but I'd like to take a moment and tell everyone about our upcoming events. Hey guys, we have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. OGGN's next Houston Happy Hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon for 4 to 6. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this happy hour, we'll be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver Happy Hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House Denver and Oil Field Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tamora Leste Oil and Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dili, Timor-Leste. 
The SMRP third quarter West Houston chapter meeting is on October 3rd at 11.30 in Houston. This event will cover the topic, are your PMs preventing or causing failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a disruptive energy workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark LaCour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush Conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush-China Conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional, and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Also, if you're looking to get in shape for the fall or, you know, you got a winter vacation coming up, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Also, there's an oil field prayer breakfast happening in Oklahoma City. A good friend of mine, John David Willimon, is helping put that on. So Richard Moncrief, CEO of WPX, actually is going to be speaking. That's going to be October 17th at the Bricktown Event Center with the event starting at 6.15 a.m. and ending at 7.30 a.m. So, you know, get out there, have a good breakfast, hear some good talk, and, you know, enjoy the rest of your day. All questions about the event can be directed to John David Willimon. I'll put his link in the show notes. Anyways, thank you for listening to Oil & Gas Onshore. If you're looking for more info, visit oilandgasonshore.com. Bo, thanks again for joining me today. What's the best way for people to reach out to you or to get to know more about Altitude? Sure. LinkedIn probably a great way. Cool. We'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah. And then Altitude-EP, our website is is out there. And and just reaching out to any one of uh, your Altitude representatives. We'd love to tell you a little bit more about our business for sure. sure. We're excited about what we have going on and, and, and where it's heading. So awesome. But yeah. I really appreciate the opportunity to come talk with you, bud. It's always good yeah, seeing you. Absolutely. Well, again, that's a wrap. And always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil and Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. 